Hello, and welcome to the Burning Issue podcast. My name is Luke Walsh, and I'm the editor of the website EndsWasteAndBioenergy.com, which covers breaking news and developments in the EFW and bioenergy sector. I've said before on this podcast, I became interested in energy recovery after working on a bin lorry as a student and dumping unsorted waste in a landfill, which in reality was how we've dealt with the waste since it became a problem. But that was 20 years ago, and a lot has changed in that time. But perhaps the change people didn't see coming was the market for waste exports from the UK. One of the people who did see it, though, was Andy Jones, who is the managing director of waste exporter Totus Environmental and also the chair of the IDF Industry Group, which supports businesses in the sector. Waste has now been exported from the UK for just over a decade, but the market is changing, with increased energy recovery capacity coming online here and tax regimes making certain countries less financially attractive. There's even talk the UK could begin to import waste if the EFW plants built here can't source feedstock domestically. So, the sector, hit by the twin blows of Brexit and Covid in recent years, seems to be set for an increasingly interesting period. Let's hear what Andy has to say. Hello Andy, and thank you for joining me today. Hi, good to be here. I think you've been in the waste sector for more than 30 years now. How did you get into it in the first place? Like most people, you fall into the waste sector and usually you're either out the waste sector within two months of coming into it or you're a lifer like me that's here for the distance. I was working outside the waste sector, managing waste for a manufacturing company, cosmetics manufacturing company, and actually started to manage the changes in legislation, which was mainly at the time coming from the Environmental Protection Act and the obligations of duty of care, etc. Just fortuitously took voluntary redundancy and then switched into the sector as a salesperson for one of the nationals and grew from there. What's kept you in it? What keeps me going is the diversity of opportunity, the variety of work every day is different. I enjoy the fact that I deal with things that people just assume that are there and happen and it's a bit like the utility sector. Everybody turns the tap on and the water comes out. They never worry about where it came from and what happens to the the water that goes down the sink waste is exactly the same and it's the opportunities and the variety they only complain when the waste isn't collected exactly (laughs) i was thinking about you studied chemistry at university and mark terrell who's also in the waste export sector for andusia and was one of the first guests on a burning issue also worked in it there so is there a link between chemistry and waste exports yes there is particularly the 30 years that you've just mentioned. I've probably spent most of those years dealing with hazardous waste. So that brings in the joys of chemical waste and explosives, radioactives, these types of materials. But more and more now, waste, particularly when you look at the UK residual waste market and the materials that are being derived from household waste or municipal solid waste, is the fact that they're becoming much more engineered fuels. So when you start engineering fuels and you start making different materials and different resources and different uses, then quality becomes a bigger requirement. Hence, analysis of waste is more required and more talked about. And generally, there's more of a demand for technical input. Gone are the days where you just take your waste, put it in the bin lorry and send it down the landfill. 
And obviously talking about what you do with the waste once you've got it. I think the big issue for you and others in the waste export sector is the processing of transfrontier shipment of waste notifications or TFS by the Environment Agency. Can you tell us what the issue is and what effect it's having on you and others? Primarily, like a lot of public sector at the moment, like an awful lot of regulators, not just in the waste sector, but there's issues within the Environment Agency in relation to pay, recruitment, retaining staff, developing staff. They've got to the situation at the moment where they've ended up with, in the International Waste Shipment Office, they've ended up with shortages of staff, coupled with the fact the old agency at the moment is going through a series of strike actions, again, over pay like the nurses and and other sectors. What that's meant is that there's been delays within the processing of those notifications outside of the statutory obligations that the regulators have to process there's a time scale that they must adhere to to do that and they're considerably out of that the main sector is they have three days to look at a notification they're currently taking over seven weeks to pick up a notification (laughs) the consequence of that is it delays on export it causes stockpiling of waste within the uk where it's not being processed to people like me and my business and the exporters, what that causes us commercial difficulties because we're not able to process. You know, we get paid for moving waste. We don't get paid for not moving waste. So consequently, that's where the difficulties are. On the positive, the Environment Agency are now back up to strength, but they've gone back up to strength with untrained people and they're going to take a period of time to get those trained people working up to the processes that they have. They know they've got difficulties now. Those difficulties will improve, but there's still going to be delays towards the end of the year. Myself, as the chairman of the RDF Industry Group, one of the industry bodies in and around waste movements, we issued a letter some weeks ago just pertaining our not so much a protest, but pointing out the fact that this was causing difficulties and the agency have responded by making things better, but it's just going to take some time to wash through. Well, you've said they've responded by making it better. And I should say that we covered this on Ends Waste and Bioenergy, and I did contact the EA and ask its side, but they didn't even reply. No, they won't. So uh, the EA, through DEFRA, do have a subscription, and so they're probably listening to this podcast. What would you like to say to them now? I'm not going to sit here and say that you're making a mess of it because technically you're not. You're doing the best you can. Times post-pandemic, post-Brexit, the variables and the, the affecting factors at macro level and micro level are all causing difficulties. Everybody sympathises with that. We're pleased that you are making efforts to amend the situation but please do it as quick as you can (laughs) it's as simple as that but we also can't expect miracles neither i also understand the ea is likely to consult on changes to the tfs process perhaps even as early as this summer which could see an increase in fees are prices the ea charges for the process fair now and can it justify increases the way things are at the moment First and foremost, the charges that have been in existence to defend the agency, those charging and those charging scales have been in place now since somewhere around about 2009 was when those charges came in. They've not increased them since then. So it's 10 to 12 years since there's been any increases. That said, 
in 2010. Apart from one other country, they were the most expensive charges in Europe. So I would say their charges are within scale now. They very much work on the basis that they need to cover their cost. Those charges are there to cover the cost. If charges increase slightly, and that means notifications are getting processed on time within the regulatory timeframes that are required, I don't think anybody would object to an inflationary increase to keep things moving. However, I think to continue to charge when they're not serving the timescales, that's when it all becomes a wee bit more of a hot topic to discuss. You said earlier you were the first person... I was involved for the first, the second and the fourth notifications, which were back in 2010. And the RDF export market from the UK was in and around the changes in the Waste Framework Directive that moved the energy level caps that were there from the 11.5 megajoule minimums that allowed efficiency of plants to be considered. So that's what brought all the household waste and residual waste into scope. And we've been talking a lot about the imports there, but I saw you recently at the EFW conference in London, and there was a lot of talk about the potential of waste imports to the UK, which would be a complete change. Yes, it would. I think at the moment, what I will say, first of all, there has been zero imports into the UK of household waste or residual waste as we sit and talk today. However, it's a logical step. There's more and more facilities coming online. There's more and more facilities being permitted. There's more and more facilities being given planning permission. I believe personally that we will reach capacity at round about 2026, 2027. If the continuation goes beyond that, you're going to end up with an overcapacity within the UK. And to fill those plants, very few of them are public sector plants, municipal led plants. They're merchant facilities run by operating businesses that need to make a profit. So therefore, they're going to seek the waste they need from a decreasing pool of waste within the UK. The UK currently, for a number of reasons, is considerably down on the amount of waste there is within the UK. That's down to a whole host of reasons. I think you mentioned earlier, we had a chat before this started, so I should just clarify that, but you said the EA wasn't keen on the idea. I think the situation is that it's a logical step that hasn't been taken and the whole political stance of importing household waste from another country or even commercial and industrial waste from another country into the UK for treatment over here, I think is a step I don't think either the government, DEFRA or the Environment Agency has probably considered at this stage and there's obviously going to be a lot of public concern about are we bringing other people's problems to our door to solve those problems or are we bringing waste into the UK as a valuable resource that can be used to provide additional resource to the UK. It becomes a very politically engineered market to derive the answers from. It's better for waste from Eastern Europe to come to an energy from waste plant in the Nordics or the UK rather than landfill? In theory, yes. Most of the Eastern European countries, or a lot of them, still have extremely cheap landfill. The whole concept as well that needs consideration is, are you bringing untreated or unpretreated waste to the UK for use? 
or are you bringing a pre-treated material to the UK as a resource where it's already had some form of pre-treatment, whether that's a mechanical treatment or a physical treatment or something much more superior to give something where the resource element and the energy element of the waste is much more useful. We're talking about the potential of overcapacity there. So that brings me nicely on to moratoriums on new EFW capacity. Yeah. On this podcast, most people I've spoken to so far have agreed Scotland's moratorium was right. What do you think? I totally agree. <laughs> Straightforward. And I also think they've hit the timing right. I think when you look at it and and what what's operational now and in the pipeline and currently in construction or consented planning there's five million tons of residual waste that comes out of scotland and the capacity for there is is about right wales i think are somewhat similar there's obviously questions within england as to where that goes and i think that is probably tomorrow's argument at some point or tomorrow's discussion point at what point the english decide that they've got the right capacity and they stop building new facilities. You mentioned Wales there. Wales has its moratorium as well. People on the podcast have been a bit less sure of how secure that one is. When you've got places like Swansea sending their waste over to Rookery South, that doesn't seem right. They should build their own one there, shouldn't they? Waste will... The analogy I'm going to use is one that's off the shores from here. Waste will always travel. There's always an export market, there's always an import market. We mentioned it very briefly earlier, look at the Nordics. Half of Norway's waste ends up in Sweden. Half Sweden's waste ends up in Norway. It's just commercial inputs, commercial redistribution of waste that goes on. And I think at the end of the day, waste will travel from Swansea to Rookery as long as the commercial implications are there to do it. Talking more generally, you've mentioned that you were in at the start of the waste export sector. I don't think people really thought it would happen. Well, I started off um, probably earlier than most. Everybody started dealing with the residual waste. As I said, the first notifications for residual waste were in 2010 and and onwards from there. I've been working in, in importing and export waste since 1996, which is when the legislation first came out. The first TFS regulations were 1996 and they were amended in 2006. And I've been involved in various projects around the world, mainly dealing with pesticides and these types of materials and pharmaceutical streams. The whole export argument and the the whole export discussion is what's it there for? You know, the UK is is a G7 country. It's self-sufficient in everything it does and, and pertains to be. And I think, but the export and import markets are there to supply short-term needs to either short-term problems while governments and things catch up and then you move on to the next problem. And it goes back to 2002 with the fridge mountains. We're dealing at the moment with the pops in the waste, which is the big hot topic at the moment, the persistent organic pollutants that are in there. And are they in there? Are they not in there? Are they allowed to be in there? Are they not allowed to be in there? And the whole argument about that, that's a completely different podcast all on its own. There's a lot to talk about there. But there will always be an export market. There will always be an import market. The materials that are exported and imported will probably change from time to time. And I run my business. The underlying way of for my business is we're there to solve problems. 
two years ago, we were heavily involved in the export of clinical waste. The UK has always said it's self-sufficient in its clinical waste. Two years ago, it couldn't manage the clinical waste that it had on the table. And this is both pre-pandemic and during the pandemic. We got involved and right now, I don't move any clinical waste. I have no plans to move clinical waste until there's another backlogs or storage problems that mean we need to move it. And we move different materials on different days. And that's where the export market has its place. The bit I'm going to touch on is when you look at the EA's comments and others' comments through last year, where they were talking about banning exports in and around the, the arguments of waste crime. And the outline of that was because you're starting to get supermarket bags washing up on Turkish yeah. beaches and things like that. And supermarket bags that are clearly British supermarket bags that can't be attributed to other countries. There's clearly something had to be done there. At the end of the day, export and import are there to, as I said earlier, to solve problems. They're there to provide solutions by banning all waste exports then that actually doesn't solve the problem because the waste crime will just find another way, another path for criminals to make money. Brings us back to the TFS and green list waste. So I guess if you're a legitimate person and you're getting your TFS notifications, that's waste that they know. But if you're not or you're just sending it as a green list, maybe they should ban that element, should they? Oh, that's a very sweeping statement and it's one that's with quite a complicated answer. I think the one thing, moving materials under notification controls gives control. It always will. It's got a fully traceable path, to be fair, one of the best traceable paths. That system was laid down by the French and the Swiss as part of the Basel Convention. The green list waste, again, doesn't give you the same traceability. Do you ban that element or do you just put some controls around it? Just because it's not controlled doesn't mean that you need to ban it. It just means that you maybe need to improve and change slightly the green list market to make sure. And some countries do. Some countries insist have a very different set of green list regulations than the UK does. We're getting near the end here, so I just want to ask you to do a bit of forecasting. What tonnage levels do you think the UK is going to ship this year and next? I'm going to talk about RDF exports because at the end of the day, I'm involved in that market. And that's a market that's very well defined because like with most waste counting, there's an awful lot of double counting goes on and through transfer stations and things. So the RDF market highlighted in 2017, 2018 at about 3.9 million tonnes. And that was its highlight. Last year, it was just under 2 million tonnes. I think within the next three to four years, you can probably expect that market to halve again. As, as new facilities become online within the UK, you've got capacity within the UK to treat its own waste, will reduce exports. You've got logistics difficulties in terms of pricing for brake bolt vessels, for trains, and all that causes difficulties. And above all else, more people are finding more technically advanced ways of extracting useful materials from the waste. So the residual end element becomes smaller again. For a number of factors, you're going to see that market contract into a much more specialised area. That's around a million tonnes, isn't it? Somewhere like that, yeah. Do you see that as the plateau? I think it will stabilise as that. 
and it will be particular streams that make that up. Things like the advent of, of sterilisation on clinical waste, it produces a clinical flock, which technically is a, a refuse-derived fuel, so it, it is an RDF in one form or another. So the more specialised streams with those will maintain their level and work moving forward. But the days of the big tier one treatment facility or the big tier one waste contractors within the UK, who we all know and love, their days of exporting just because of shortage of capacity, I think those days are coming to an end. The final question I ask everyone that comes on the burning issue is, what's the question I should have asked you and how would you have answered it? I think the the big element at the moment is, we've talked very much about the UK, but there's considerable interest and some very good discussions to be had in and around what's going on with other countries around Europe, what the effects of Brexit have had, the pandemics had, because it's had different effects in different countries, the Russian-Ukraine war has obviously also had an effect on the whole energy sector, renewables just being a small part of that. And countries that have decommissioned their, their nuclear capability are now talking about reinstating that nuclear capability. So that's a much bigger topic. I, I get asked a lot at the moment about the comparison from country to country of how we sit and where we sit. And there's some really good discussions to be had around that, particularly countries like Italy and Germany, where their markets are changing considerably at the moment. Which is the keyer market for you, Italy or Germany at the moment, do you see? Italy is probably is a much more difficult market to work in. Can't imagine why. For a whole host of reasons. It's a market that has a lot of interest because of the, because of the commercialities around that. There's still some very attractive pricing to be had in the Italian market, even though politically it has its challenges. The German market is in and mainly around the energy availability following their, their dependence on, on Russian gas and their transition over to burning more renewables and less gas being available. So the longer-term interest is in and around Italy, but the day-to-day interest is Germany is a very big, dynamic market at the moment. Andy, I think you've taught me so much today. Uh, thank you. For, and I understand you've even flown in from Sweden today. So thank you very much for your time, and it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Cheers, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. All that's left for me to say is thank you for listening. And if you've liked what you heard, please share it amongst your networks, either in person or online. It does help and is really appreciated. If you want to learn more about energy recovery, go to the website endswasteandbioenergy.com where you can sign up for our free newsletters and even take out a subscription if you want. Goodbye. <laughs>